All right, guys. Well, uh, Colossians chapter 3, and probably have one more week in Colossians. Colossians 3, we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 17. We are going to see in this chapter what a gospel-centered church looks like. Especially after we've done Ephesians recently, uh, you're probably not going to hear anything new. Uh, Ephesians and Colossians just run so parallel with each other. But we are going to be reminded of some things that we should never forget. And even studying this today, uh, I'm just reminded of you know my old biology teacher telling me you know if it's repeated then it's on the test. You know, and, and, you know, in reading through this, can't say I've got everything nailed down in these 17 verses, so it's good that I need to go through them again. But in these 17 verses, we'll see uh, in somewhat of this order, although perhaps scattered at times, uh, our identity, our unity, and our activity. Our identity is founded in the work of Christ. Our unity is grounded or marked by the love of Christ. And our activity is expressed or takes place through the power of Christ. The gospel-centered church in its identity, unity, and activity. You know, the gospel is not the ABCs of Christianity. It is the A through Z of Christianity. It's not the door to get into the house. It's everything that the house is. It's the foundation. It's the electrical, the plumbing, the conduit, the stick walls, the everything. It's the insulation. It's the roof. It's the fireproof hardybacker and sheetrock. It's the gospel is the church. It is Christianity. These elements that we see tonight must be evident if any church wants to be marked by the gospel. And so first of all, our identity. It answers the questions, who are these people? It's people in the world here that we're Christians, that we go to Calvary Chapel of Crook County. Who are these guys? What do they do? Why do they do it? What distinguishes them and sets them apart? Well, for one thing, we are entirely different than how we once were. We're entirely different than how we once were. This is not only our identity, but this is our assurance. If you flip over a couple chapters to Colossians chapter 1, verse 21, Paul writes to them and says, You were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in His sight. Those are two different people right there. And some of you, you might think of your B.C. days, your pre-Christ days. Um, you know, it's, and, and it's uh, just evident. Alienated from God and enemies, but brought near by the blood of Jesus. As Christians, our identity and our standing is in Christ alone. 
I mentioned that this, uh, that this point is also scattered throughout these 17 verses. And if you just buzz down to chapter 3, verse 12, it says, Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. And so he gives our identity to us again in chapter 3, verse 12, and he uses some Old Testament titles to describe the people the Colossians even, that he writes about. First of all, they're the elect of God. You know, we don't need to stumble at that. As much controversy as there is in, in the sovereignty of God, there's also wonderful truth to it. That we are elect as Christians. That the story of the Bible is from the very beginning a story of God's divine search for those who are hiding from their maker. And you remember that from two weeks ago, the Gospel Family series on Sunday morning. How when we saw the first marriage, after it had stumbled and fallen out of its divine roles and in in the divine law of God, uh, they were hiding. Adam and Eve were hiding. And God was pursuing, saying, Adam, where are you? And that's the Gospel. That He pursues fallen sinners and says, where are you? It's the pursuit of God. It's not a story of men and women in their inherent goodness, searching out of the goodness of their heart to know God. That's not, that's not the story of the Bible. It's a bunch of wicked people who are just content living on their own apart from Him, doing things their own way. And He in His goodness and grace pursues and has mercy and time and time again shows that He has had a plan to redeem them from their sin, from their fallen condition, and to not only redeem them, but to purchase them back by the death of God Himself, living a holy life, dying a sinner's death, a death that He didn't have to die, but He willingly laid down His life so that we could be bought, that the ransom could be paid by His precious blood, the currency of His precious blood, and that if anyone would believe on Him, they wouldn't die, but have everlasting life. It's a story of his pursuit, his action. You guys remember the old classic song, Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. Listen to this. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Did you ever catch that lyric? He loved me ere I knew Him. He loved me before I knew Him. That's the election of God. The predestination of God. As Peter says, elect according to foreknowledge. And you know what wife hates it when her husband tells her, I saw you on prom night. I saw you over there by the punch bowl. And I said, I'm going to marry her, <laughs> you know, and he pursued you and sought after you. I'm sure that's not everyone's testimony here, but you know, maybe one. Let's be honest, there was a punch bowl involved, but otherwise, you know, no, I'm teasing. But, uh, you know, that's essentially God. He foreknew. He was the one that saw from the beginning and pursued you. And, and so as the elect, as the chosen, as those that have been sought and bought, as those, the second phrase, the word that he uses in chapter 3, verse 12, holy, 
So elect and holy doesn't mean we smell like mothballs. Sometimes we think that's what holy means. Um, just because you have mothballs that there are no holes. But no, yeah, we are made new is what that speaks of. We are called out, called from, called to, called for. Peter tells us that we are a peculiar people, which is what everyone's been telling you lately. There's something about you somewhat peculiar. But the glory of the gospel is that the more peculiar the church is seen by the world, the more attractive she is. The more set apart, the more obviously different, the more the world is drawn to her. The more the, world, uh, the, more the church compromises and looks like the church, the more they're like, why would I need that? Why would I need that? I've already got that. I've already got compromise. I've already got you know, um, impurity. I've already got blemish. Uh, but, but there's something in my heart that's drawing me to something um, different. Something holy. Something set apart. Something pure. And finally, beloved. Or the NIV says, dearly loved. It sounds like a wedding phrase. Dearly loved or beloved. We are made the object of God's love. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure that He would give His only Son to make a wretch His treasure. We are beloved. And so we have those three wonderful phrases that help show us our identity. And as Paul speaks to the Colossians, the work of God in them is in order that the work of God may be done through them and thus being a testimony to the nations who do not yet know Him. The work of God in them. God's identity, His his calling of them. B.B. Warfield wrote, as we speak of a gospel-centered church, there's nothing in us or done by us in any stage of our earthly development because of which we are acceptable to God. We must always be accepted for Christ's sake, or we cannot be accepted at all. This is true of us not only when we believe, it is just as true after we've believed. It will continue to be true as long as we live. We, our need of Christ does not cease with our believing, nor does the nature of our relationship to Him or to the Father through Him ever alter. No matter what our attainments in Christian graces or our achievements in behavior may be, it is always on His blood and righteousness alone that we can rest. Back in chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, Paul says, Because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth of the gospel, So they heard the word, the truth, the gospel, which came to you as it also has in all the world and is bringing forth fruit as it is also among you since the day you heard and knew the grace of God and truth. So he's speaking now in chapter 3 of graces and fruits that happen because a church and a people are gospel-centered. So let's get into it. Verse 1. If then you were raised with Christ... Seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right 
hand of God. And so a gospel is preached in, this, in these chapters, and we're just going to see uh, with Christ, where Christ. <laughs> it's all about Christ. Christos and Kyrios. My Savior and my Lord. And he, he mentions Christ a lot in this chapter. If you were raised with Christ, or the word if can actually mean because, because you were raised with Christ. This is a phrase that's used uh, throughout the New Testament, raised with Christ. In Colossians chapter 2, Romans chapter 6 is big in this. Ephesians chapter 2, there's this, there's this death in Christ principle and a resurrection in Christ principle. And both in Romans 6, Ephesians 2, Colossians 2, there's these wonderful phrases that the gospel is that we died vicariously through Christ. We died by faith with Christ. But the good news is it doesn't end there. And Romans 6 does a great job of pointing that out. If we died with him, you can be assured we're also going to be raised with him. He also rose from the dead. And so uh, looking at it there in Romans 6, 5, for if we've been united together in the likeness of his death, that doesn't sound like a whole lot of hope, uh, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. There's the hope. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. If you hop down to Romans 6, verse 8, now if we died with Christ, here's the good news, we believe we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. And then again, Romans 6, 11, likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Because of this truth, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead. And your members, we're going to get into this in a little while, your, your body parts as instruments of righteousness to God. So uh, there's the truth of the death with Christ on the cross through faith. Uh, but also the alive to God, alive from the dead. And that's good news. Regarding these things above, it says, first of all, that we're to seek these things above. We're to look for them and try to find them. We're just going to kind of go around the circle and read some of these verses. If you're not a reader and you don't want to read, just say pass. But Dustin, will you read Matthew 6.33 on the screen? <laughs> You're embarrassing me in front of my friends. <laughs> so seek. Seek first the kingdom. Okay, Blaine, read Romans 8, 6. So spiritually minded. Jenny, 2 Corinthians 4, 18. All right, so, so far, so far, so, so far, so far. Dustin read, seek the kingdom of God. Blaine said, be spiritually minded. Jenny read, Look at the things that are not seen. Hebrews eleven thirteen through 16, Mark. So just from the hall of faith, Hebrews chapter 11, these heroes of the faith were not carnally minded. They sought the kingdom of God. They didn't, you know, when Abraham called him out, of, Abraham was called out of Ur, uh, you know, he, he didn't seek the earthly stuff. He could have just gone back home. He had a heavenly mindset as God called him out. 
And Psalm 1611, Grandma Barb, will you read that one? And so we're to seek things where Christ is, where he's at the right hand of God. And how interesting that the psalmist write, at the right hand of God, where Jesus is sitting, is pleasures forevermore. He is pleasure uh, forevermore. Um, regarding things above, we are to not only seek, but we see here, we're to set, set our mind. Verse 2 says that, set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. Um, and so you've got this, you got a contrast kind of setting your mind on things above and the antithesis is to set your mind on things on the earth. And so in Matthew chapter 6, 19 through 21, Ron, will you read that? Okay, so don't set your mind on things um, from the earth, but set your heart, um, um, put your passion into the things of heaven. Um, Psalm 62.10, Gail, will you read that one? Set your heart on riches. Psalm 119, 36 and 37, Paul, will you read that one? And so it's interesting, as you look at these cross-references, you see that to set your, th- your heart on earthly things is really to have a covetous heart. Um, it's, it's to have a heart that just wants more of just stuff of this life. To, as John says uh, in 1 John, to love the things of the world. If you love the things of the world, uh, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, um, then you're not, you're not walking in uh, the Spirit. And so uh, Romans 8, uh, 5, uh, actually we read that, Blaine read that one. Luke twelve fifteen. Uh, will you go ahead and read this one? Thank you, Anna. I love that verse because, you know, this, this guy comes up and says, Hey, Rabbi, you know, get justice for me. My brother's taking my inheritance. And, and Jesus is just like, Hey, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not uh, consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Uh, you've got a carnal mindset. You've got a, a mind on this earth if... Um, if you're just constantly coveting. Um, we've got uh, Philippians 3.19, which speaks of the enemies of the cross of Christ. And Carol, will you read that one? So the enemies of the cross of Christ set their mind on earthly things. I think of Jesus and how you know, there was a point in his ministry where you know, he, he knew it was time to be heading to Jerusalem to lay his life down uh, as a ransom. And it says he set his gaze toward Jerusalem. And so we look at Jesus and he, had his, he was kingdom focused. He was uh, redemption focused. Set his mind, uh, the one language is set his face like flint. And, uh, and, and when we're like that with the world, um, man, it's just interesting the phraseology there that they're enemies of the cross of Christ. Moving on in our chapter, Colossians 3, 3 for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And so, verse 1 tell, told us that we were raised with Christ. Okay? Uh, we're to focus where Christ is. Uh, here we see uh, that we're hidden with Christ. And we had died with Christ. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15. Carrie, will you read this? You know, uh, doing a pre-marriage counseling right now and um, 
just was sitting there with Lindsay across the table from this couple, and I just was like, you know, marriage is about death to self. It's about death to self. And, uh, and it's refreshing to come back to that. As much as we strive and try to exalt ourselves, there's never life in that. There's never life in that. Where do wars and fights come from among you, James tells us? It is for those people who are desiring to see themselves succeed. Anytime we go that route, there will be death. There will be war. And, uh, and here we're just reminded, uh, Lindsay and I have been saying this funny phrase that we heard a guy say on TV, and someone died on TV, and he looks at the, he goes, he dead. <laughs> and, uh, and we just thought it was so funny. And so, uh, and so now Paul is looking at us saying, you dead, you know, you dead, <laughs> you're dead. And any time we try to like claim our old man back, it gets ugly. It gets real ugly. Like we're dead. And the beautiful thing is, is that like we're alive. There's a new man and it, we're hidden now with Christ in God. If one died, then all died. He died for all that we don't live for ourselves. Now we live for him. That's the gospel. Galatians 2.20 tells us that Cheryl. And so the, yeah, death to self, right? Death to the flesh. We died with Christ. We're alive now. And the life that we now live, it's, it's a reflection of Jesus. We live a life of faith and we are imitators of Christ. And so those husbands that die to self, they die to self to provide life for their wife. Um, you know, it's the picture of Jesus, Christ in the church. And, um, but uh, verse four of our text says, when Christ, another phrase, a Christ phrase, when Christ, when Christ, who is our life, appears, this will happen in the future, then you also will appear with him in glory. So this is uh, what we've been calling after we went to a seminary class, or it was the Spurgeon Fellowship, uh, what we call the J-curve. And, you know, all throughout the scriptures, we see the J-curve where there's the bad news or there's the, there's the trials and there's the, the fall and sin of life. And wherever you read in the Bible about, oh man, but then, there's, but then the Lord, because of the death, there's also the resurrection. And then he brings us back to life. And life is like this continuous J-curve. You know, you know entering your trial, well, he's doing something marvelous about it, uh, in, in it. And so here we have, oh, he dead, you know, you dead, uh, but, but, oh, but you're alive, right? Or, yeah, dead, hidden in Christ, and then Christ who is our life. You know, a lot of people, my life is fishing. My life is snowboarding. My life is my vehicle or whatever. Uh, well, Christ is our life. When he appears, we also will appear with him in glory. I think this is a proof text for at the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a whole lot of saints with them. Going to be a whole lot of saints with him, uh, coming and appearing with him in glory. Let's look at Matthew twenty four thirty. Shannon, will you read this one? Yeah. Uh, so you know the world will look up and they'll see Jesus coming. He's going to come again. Um, I love back in the day listening to Raul Reese on the radio preach. He's got this really thick Spanish uh, accent, and uh, and when he would preach, it, man, uh, he would say. Uh, and the Son of Man will be coming with power and great glory. And, uh, and then like the next half hour on the radio, great glory is on, you know, and it's like, oh, great glory. Well, great glory will be there, but so will you. All right? Uh, so anyways, I love that. But uh, I haven't heard him say it in quite a while. 
he's probably like really tried to enunciate ever since that became kind of a joke. Um, in Jude 14, Jude uh, quotes Enoch, the seventh from Adam. And so Kayla, will you read this? In Revelation 19.14 is where we see the second coming. And who is with him? Jason, read it. You know, when I was in high school, I was given this incredible horse. His name was Patches. Uh, and he was white with black spots. He was a black and white paint. And uh, so I always had the joke that, you know, you'll be able to pick me out in the uh, armies of heaven because my white horse will have black. But, you know, okay, yeah, no, probably not. But uh, it was a nice thought. He was a good horse. You know, would have loved to have come in on him. So anyways, and, and now our action is, is so we have, uh, we seek things above, we set our mind on things above, and now the verb that we're called to in verse 5 is now we put to death. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The word put to death is stop completely. Stop completely your body parts. Um, Romans 8.13. Let's see, are we back over here to Dustin? Got a whole lot of cross-references tonight. So living in the flesh, letting your members rule will bring death. But notice it's by the Spirit. It's as we walk in the Spirit that we're able to mortify the deeds of the body and put them to death. And and you know this is Romans eight thirteen is an incredible study. It's it's executing sin. It's executing the temptation. It's it speaks of just like a death shot to it and stopping it from ruling anymore. And there will be life in that. Romans goes on to say that whoever is led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. And we kind of think of that as like, oh, I was just led by the Spirit to like go over here or move my family over here and. There may be a part of that, of, of like prayer and stuff, where you're led to go somewhere. But really, the, the context is you're led by the Spirit in how to kill sin in your life. So here's this sin issue. I don't even know what to do about it. So I go to prayer and I go to fasting, and the Holy Spirit leads us in how to, how to crucify it and how to kill it. It's done by the Spirit, not by the flesh. Uh, and so we're talking about you know putting to death our members or our body parts that are causing sin. Let's look at Romans 6, 11, uh, Blaine, through 13. And so you got to love it. It's a little bit of Prineville talk for us that we get to reckon. I reckon, I reckon I'm dead to sin. I reckon I'm alive to God. It's an accounting term, really. And it means to, to look at the account and see what is there um, and have it imputed. Uh, and so because of that, we are to just stop it. Stop it crucify put to death stop it don't let sin reign do not present your members your body parts as instruments of unrighteousness of sin but do present them as instruments of righteousness to god and so put a death to fornication which is sec- sexual immorality stop it just stop it <laughs> or uncleanness which is impurity and immorality and filth ff F. bruce writes a wider range of meaning than fornication. Uncleanness includes the misuse of sex, but is applicable to various forms of moral evil. Put it to death by the Spirit. Put to death passion. 
I don't, I don't think it's any coincidence that Passions is the name of a, of a soap opera. And actually, I don't even know if it's on anymore, but I remember back, back in the day it was Passions on it one. You know, I got nothing else to do. <laughs> Find something else to do. Um, but it speaks of lustful sexual passion. So most of these beginning ones speak of, of sexual immorality. Evil desire speaks of wrong, incorrect, harmful lusts and cravings. It's, it's incorrect. It's wrong. Have you ever heard someone say, man, that's wrong. It's wrong. It's not right. <laughs> and don't even start to say, well, if it is not right, I don't want it. No, how's it go? If it's, uh, if it's so wrong. If it's so wrong, I don't know. I don't know what it is. Okay. I'm glad you guys don't know because, okay, don't say it, Shannon. Don't stumble us. Okay. And then he goes into covetousness, which is idolatry. So it goes back to even, I think it was um, Anna that read about, uh, you know, don't take heed, you know, take heed, beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of things it possess. And so even covetousness and lust all kind of is lumped into the same thing. And it's idolatry. It's greedy exploitation. All of these things are not even to be named among us, Ephesians says. Let's go back to our text in Colossians 3, 6, 7. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. You know, Billy Graham said that if God doesn't judge the United States, then he owes Sodom and Gomorrah an apology. Well, why would, why would, we're the land of the free, the home of the brave. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. And unless there's a repentance, unless there's an awakening, just reading with my kids in the Action Bible about Abram pleading with God, if there's 30 righteous men, if there's 20 righteous men, if there's 10 righteous, you know, oh Lord, let there be righteous men that just, that just cause awakening in our nation um, but notice, you can't just blame it on the world. It, it was we ourselves, verse 7, once walked in these things when we lived in them. You know, the, the Scripture, we, don't, we won't go into it tonight, but many times it speaks about who will not inherit the kingdom of God. Will not inherit the kingdom of God. And if you're not inheriting the kingdom of God, then the wrath of God abides on you. And so we are to... Uh, put to death, and now, verse 8, we're to put off. But now you yourselves are to put off all these. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. It's been said these are a bit of the lesser evils than the first ones that we're to put to death. And now we put off these ones, laying aside, taking them off. It's, it's, it's like taking off a garment. Anger, which speaks of wrath and anger and punishment. And, just as, and, and then... And then wrath so wrath and wrath and uh just we were praying during the fast just confessing in my group just lord just sensing that the one of the next things you need to do in me is is just sanctifying me and putting wrath away from me um that i would just be gentle and um and, and compassionate and merciful and um malice which speaks of um wickedness and hateful feelings and bitterness put it away blasphemy slander and reviling filthy abusive language and dirty talk just put that off out of our mouth that's that's one of those things that just 
so quickly some of the things that the Lord does in believers is just changes the way that they speak and and rather thanksgiving begins to come out and praise just always upon our lips. Verse 9, do not lie to one another since you've put off the old man and his deeds and have, verse 10, put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him. So just seeing the gospel and all of these imperatives that, that the old man's been put off, there's a new man who's put on, he's renewed in the knowledge of the one who's created him. Uh, this is just very reminiscent from our studies in Ephesians 4. Um, and we're going to be reading a little bit later about um, the Word of God and the work it has in our hearts. And, um, and here we see that we are renewed. Uh, renewed in knowledge, verse 10. Verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. So there's another Christ phrase there. And here we just see unity. Uh, so we've had identity and now we have unity. Romans 10.12 tells us, Jenny, you want to read it? <clears throat> and so just the unity that the body of Christ is. That uh, you know We may see it in many more melting pots uh, in the United States, but even as we go to Nepal, you know, and we may be an area where you've got people from some Hindu background, people from Buddhist background, people from different people groups. You know, even among our group of trekkers that were in Nepal, around that circle as we told about our way of life and the background we come from, even just among us, we had different backgrounds. And, uh, and you know, the Lord brings unity by the Holy Spirit. We've all got the same Bible opened up and we're all worshiping the same Jesus. Now we're to put on verse 12. <clears throat> the fifth verb that we're called to action. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. So just in the morning as you wake up, just say, Lord, this morning, just afresh, I want to take off the garment, the unclean garment of all these things. And I see the enemy just kind of putting them in my life. And I'm, you know, I'm, I'm doing these, just my flesh wants to rule here. But First thing in the morning, I've got to remember that flesh is crucified. There's, there's a new man who's alive. And so I'm putting on those fruits of the Spirit, really. Tender mercies, which speaks of compassion and pity from the inward parts. One of the translations says, bowels of compassion. Just a groaning in the inner person for those that are in, in need. And put on kindness benevolent, generous kindness. And interesting, just as there were two mentionings of wrath before, here there's two mentionings of kindness. There's kindness, which is benevolent kindness. Uh, or I'm sorry, humility. And then there's meekness, which is a form of humility. It's, it's gentle humility. Put on long-suffering, which is patient forbearance. Maybe... Just tomorrow morning, let's do that as we wake up. Let's flip to Colossians 3 and let's put on the new man. Let's put on these traits. The Greek Stoics said to show any sign of emotion was weakness. But that's not what Christ taught. He said he modeled it. He showed it. Now he calls us to um, all sorts of wonderful uh, <clears throat> um, signs of emotion. And verse 13 we have these one another statements that just show that we're not saved to be isolated 
and just like go live by ourselves in the woods somewhere and have no human contact contact but we're to be living in community with one another uh, and these one another statements show that we need to bear with one another by the spirit forgive one another if anyone has a complaint against another even as Christ forgave you so you also must do so many people they go off to the woods or they go off to the wilderness and you know my church is in the wilderness my church is in the woods you know I get part of what you're saying there and I can understand that you're out and you're in creation you see God's handiwork but at the same time uh, we have a misunderstanding of the church the church isn't a building it's it's the people it's the redeemed people of God and so we're called a part of the church knit together we're part of a flock we're part of part of a vineyard we're part of a we're living stones making up the house of the Lord. And because of that, there are one another's. And there are people we need to bear with. And you guys know that you need to bear with me, don't you? I'm, I'm someone you need to bear with. You know, my wife needs to bear with me. Jason, not such an emphatic head nod, please. <laughs> you know? And you guys have. You've, you've born with me. Uh, bore with me. Buried with me. You know the tense. Uh, we got to bear with one another. And that doesn't just mean tolerate each other. That means we're going to endure the trials with each other knowing that Holy Spirit is in that guy just like he's in me. He's shaping us and we're, going to, we're called to live this thing out together. And the more we bear with one another, the more glory the Lord is given. Um, we're to forgive one another. The word forgive means give freely and to cancel the debts that one another owe us. And so... Um, forgiving one another. And then there's this beautiful uh, redemptive indication for us. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. Or thus follow so. Mark 11.25. Uh, let see, where were we? Mark, Mark, Mark you want to read Mark? <laughs> All right. Alistair Begg said, forgiveness is as indispensable to the life and health of your soul as food is for your body. And I just, you know, as I was studying this this afternoon, I was like, I just need some time to like be with the Lord and just see if there's any unforgiveness in my heart. You know, there's people that have done me wrong and there's people that I've done wrong. And is there any root of bitterness there, Lord? Is there any unforgiveness and you know, I, I'm just saying that like it hasn't happened yet. I need to get with the Lord and I need to just like, I need to let, let some things go and give freely mercy and cancel out debts. And uh, Beg went on to say, the absence of forgiveness will express that I've forgotten any offense that was in me against God and I've elevated in my own mind any offense done against me by my brothers and my sisters. And as we were in this pre-marriage counseling appointment yesterday, I just said, you know, regarding conflict, like 90% of the time when couples come into my office and meet with me, one is sinned against another and it's like this unpardonable sin and the righteous person in the argument has forgotten that they were once sinners too and the great mercy that's been shown them. We can't forget that. Jesus tells us that in Matthew chapter 18. C.S. Lewis said, Forgiveness is a lovely idea until you have something to forgive. <laughs> so, is there someone in your life that you haven't spoken with for a while? 
that you parted with on less than proper terms. And maybe you think perhaps it's their turn to humble themselves and come to your doorstep on their knees. Love always takes the initiative. Love always takes the initiative. Matthew 18.35, Barb, will you read this one? So where does the forgiveness need to happen? From the heart. Heart forgiveness. Verse 14, but above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. So in all of our putting on and clothing ourselves, it's like there's this belt here that secures it all together, and it is love. It is agape, unconditional love. How can I forgive that um, agape love? Agape, unconditional love. Unconditional means no condition. That's how we forgive. It's the fetter or the sinew of maturity. Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4, 8. Ron, you want to read it? How is it a bond of perfection? Because it covers over sin. Um, Verse 15. Remember, we only got 17 verses to go. So you guys. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called in one body and be thankful. So we've been uh, setting our minds and setting our hearts uh, and we've been putting off and putting on and now the verb is let. Let. Let the peace of God rule. Let there be a rulership in your life. I like that the word peace in the Greek is the word Irene. What a great name, huh? I think we need to bring that name back. Irene. It means freedom from worry. Don't worry about it. Let it rule. Let it control. Look what Jesus said in John 14, 27. Gail, let Jesus' peace rule in your life. Then verse 16, more lets. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So let the Word of Christ dwell. Are you spending time in the Word of God? Are you carving out time in your day where you are in the Word? If not, I encourage you, let the first thing you read be Psalm 119. Longest chapter in the Bible, but all about value of the word of God in our life let it dwell in you let it live in you let it live in you richly abundantly and in that it'll be with all wisdom another beautiful girl named wisdom is Sophia what a beautiful name Irene and Sophia peace and wisdom speaks of insight specialized knowledge just like hebrews tells us that the word of god it is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart let it teach you or instruct you and admonish you which is instruction of warning one another there's another one another phrase hard to do that when you're a lone wolf in it out there by yourself in the wilderness god's called us to be in part of a a family a fellowship one another so that we can teach, instruct, admonish, warn one another in psalms, which are songs of praise, and hymns, which are more um, doctrinal, and spiritual songs, 
singing with grace in your heart to the Lord. Ephesians will say a very similar phrase of this verse, but it tells us that it's the evidence of a spirit-filled Christian is that we will be doing these things. Teaching one another, admonishing one another, singing. And I love that it talks about singing to one another. And don't you notice it? And you've heard me say it before, you know, during worship on a Sunday. Because you'll hear the lyrics, and it's not so much going vertical, but it's like, How great is our God. Sing with me how great is our God. You know, and so it, it, there's these, you'll catch it now. Certain songs are songs that we're actually singing to each other to spur one another on to worship the Lord. We're singing with grace in our hearts. It's been said, when the church is revived, the church sings. Verse 17, the last one. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So I just like, I noticed that he was calling Jesus Christ, 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 Christ. And now Jesus, the Lord Jesus. Christ speaks of anointing and Savior. Curios, or Lord, speaks of his lordship and rulership. And now it's Savior, 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 ruling, ruler Jesus. Giving thanks to God the Father through him. So whether it's in word or deed, whether it's in message or workmanship, do it all in the reputation of the rulership of Jesus. Give thanks. It's the Greek word Eucharist. It's a time of giving thanks. It's been said thankful hearts and peaceful relationships, they sleep in the same bed. Let's, uh, Ron, do you want to get ready for your last song? And I just had... J.B. Phillips' translation of this passage that I thought we'd read together tonight. This is just a paraphrase. If you are then risen with Christ, reach out for the highest gifts of heaven where your Master reigns in power. Give your heart to the heavenly things, not to the passing things of earth. For as far as the world is concerned, you are already dead and your true life is a hidden one in Christ. One day, Christ, the secret center of our lives, will show himself openly and you will all share in that magnificent denouement. Insofar then, as you have to live upon this earth, consider yourselves dead to worldly contacts, contacts, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, dirty-mindedness, uncontrolled passion, evil desire, and the lust for other people's goods, which last, remember, is as serious a sin as idolatry. It is because of these very things that the holy anger of God falls upon those who refuse to obey him and never forget that you had your part in those dreadful things when you lived that old life. But now put all these things behind you. No more evil temper or furious rage. No more evil thoughts or words about others. No more evil thoughts or words about God. And no more filthy conversation. Don't let each other, don't tell each other lies anymore. For you've, you have finished with the old man and all he did. And have begun life as the new man who is out to learn what he ought to be. According to the plan of God. In this new man of God's design, there's no distinction between Greek and Hebrew, Jew or Gentile, foreigner or savage, slave or free man. Christ is all that matters. For Christ lives in them all. 
As therefore God's picked representatives of the new humanity, purified and beloved of God Himself, be merciful in action, kindly in heart, humble in mind, accept life and be most patient and tolerable with one another, always ready to forgive if you have a difference with anyone. Forgive as freely as the Lord has forgiven you. And above everything else, be truly loving, for love is the golden chain of all the virtues. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, remembering that as members of the same body, you are called to live in harmony and never forget to be thankful for what God has done for you. Let Christ's teachings live in your hearts, making you rich in the true wisdom. Teach and help one another along the right road with your psalms and hymns and Christian songs, singing God's praises with joyful hearts. And whatever you may have to do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, thanking God the Father through him. Let's stand. Ron, why don't you close us in song?